Alright, I'm Riley. I'm Ashley. Anderson family. This is Shepard. And we have two other boys, Ben and Wesley. Um, and they range from six to our youngest two. Um, and we've been at CBC. I grew up there. And we, um, I went through high school, went to college, then came back after we graduated and got married. Uh, so we've probably been there for like six or seven years as a family. Yep. 100% the people. For sure, the people, mm -hmm. the community, no doubt. Yeah. That was the thing that um, definitely drew us there. Was I started going to moms together right after I became a stay-at-home mom um, when Ben was little. And people, they're just the best people you'll, you'll ever meet. I mean, for sure. they pursue you and love each other and love the church. I think for me, um, I love everyone has a part to play, and that can look so different from person to person, but uh, it doesn't matter what your part to play is, it's, it is uniquely valuable and unique to you. I, I love that. I think for us, following Jesus is more of an organic thing that we just do throughout the day, whether it's conversations with our kids or each other or family members or loved ones. Um, it's just something that is just part of our life. We don't we don't necessarily have set carved out times for it. Um, it just organically comes up. Yeah. Fantastic! Hey, everybody, how are we today? We have people in the room. Last time we did this, we single-handedly caused COVID to spike over Texas. So we're hoping, kidding, uh, we're meeting again, and I'm really excited about it. So hey, whether you're in the room with us, whether you're watching on the live stream, or whether you're going to watch later on, I'm just grateful that we can worship God today, that we can talk about God, that we can talk about what it means to follow Jesus, because we have a new series. And our series is all about our family values. And why we're doing this is because I don't know about you, but what I've heard from a lot of people is that over the last three, four, and five months, as this kept lasting longer than anyone thought, I felt more disconnected to my people than I thought I ever would. I have. And whether we feel the freedom to gather in this space or watch online or watch whenever, I think we need to be reminded why we're family in the first place. And so each week, we're going to talk about some of our family rhythms and values at CBC. We'll see a family and ask them questions like, what do you value about Crossroads? How does your family follow Jesus in the midst of all this? And what do you love about Jesus? And what do you love about this church? Because it, it draws us together. It's those moments when you get back with your family on the holidays when you have those shared commonalities and values and you remember what makes you family in the first place. And so at Crossroads, we have mission statements and vision statements, and it's been a while since we've walked through them. So we're going to do it together. So you might have heard of these things before. If you have, good. I'm glad you've heard it before. You should have. If you haven't, we need to do a better job communicating. And that's what this series is all about. But before we get into that, let me, let me talk to a few things. One, man, I am grateful, like I said, that we're here this morning. And, and I just want you to know uh, that you're going to need to bear with us as we figure this out. Like I talked about months ago, we pivoted and shifted to an online platform and in-person services and, and live streaming. And, and it was different from the rhythm we normally got into as a church family. And so what that means is that we're figuring all of this out again, and we need a lot of grace. 
What that means is we're like a toddler, right? That's learning how to walk. Every day we'll take a couple more steps, but we're still going to fall on our butt sometimes, all right? And so when we do, when there are awkward moments, when the live stream crashes, when you want to sing, but maybe right now we're not in that middle song, stick with us. Each week as a staff, we're getting together and we're saying what worked and, and what didn't work and what felt really awkward and super awkward. And how can we manage those tensions as a church staff, right? So Thanks for being in it with us. I know that this week we sold out, sold out. It's not a concert. This week we, we filled up our slots in the in-person service. So we're going to talk about if we can expand those at all safely or uh, just tell people to sign up quicker and hopefully um, you can get in, in, in next week if we, if we continue to uh, fill up on Sundays. All right. So that's the diatribe about Sunday mornings. Let's get into the, the message today. So I was on an all-staff call, a Zoom call on Tuesday. We do them once a month. And I said to our staff, the people that we pay to like CBC, I said to our staff, hey guys, what is the mission statement at Crossroads Bible Church? Long pause. <laughs> and I thought, this is not bode well for me, the leader of this organization. I said, does nobody know the mission statement? And Andy Zapata, who embodies what a high school coach told me one time, if you're going to be wrong, be strong. He exclaimed, gather, grow, go. And I said, no, man. <laughs> right? I said, that is not the mission statement of Crossroads Bible Church. The mission statement at Crossroads Bible Church is follow Jesus, make disciples. We are nothing if we're not creative at Crossroads, right? And, and why it's that mission statement is because that's what we see in the Gospels over and over again. Jesus says, come and follow. Two primary texts that I'll read today, Matthew 28. These are the last words Jesus said to his people before he left them. He looks at them on this mountain and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Popular verse for a reason. And then we see a version of that in Acts 1 when he says to his disciples, I'm going to go, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria into the farthest parts of the earth. What Jesus seemingly tied together was as you follow me, people will begin to follow you. As you follow me, you're going to be my witnesses in the world. And what we see fundamentally is a fact of life that we know to be true. What we follow, we become. What you follow, you become. You can deny it all you want to, but what you run hardest after, whether you're proud of it or not, is what you will turn into. So, for example, about three or four years ago, there was this commercial that somebody made, and basically it was these, this couple that was young and, you know, hip. And, and over time, they kept saying, like, we will never move out of the city. I don't know if you saw this one. We will never move into the suburbs. We will never have kids. We will never get a minivan. And one by one, these things kept happening. And one by one, you people sent me that commercial and said, I'm waiting, Charlie. Right? Staff had a field day with it. And what we follow is what we become. Fast forward three years later, and in February, I bought my first family-friendly vehicle, you know? I went from the guy who prided himself on taking his car seat and his kid out of the back of the Honda Accord coupe like some magician pulling something out of a hat to now being excited for the first time in my life with the phrase third row optional, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's amazing how life changed because I wanted a family, because we decided to follow after that path and I might fight it all day long, but what we follow is what we become. And so Jesus says, follow me. He says, be my witnesses. And this is what we have to understand and unpack this morning. Is, is when he says, follow me, he means live into my way of life. But it's hard for us sometimes to understand what Jesus means when he says follow because we bring our own baggage into the text. 
There's a really great book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, and the author basically just reminds us that the scriptures we read was written in a context that isn't ours. And to fully grasp and to fully understand the scriptures, we need to understand it through the lens of Jesus, not this culture, his culture. It gives us a fuller, richer idea of what Jesus meant when he says, follow me and make disciples. And so today, what I want to do is take some time and talk about that phrase, follow Jesus, because I, I think we need to hear it through his lens and not ours. And I think there's some misconceptions about what it means to follow Jesus today. And so I want to walk through five misconceptions of what I think it means to follow Jesus, make disciples, and hopefully give some clarity on maybe what Jesus meant when he said it, and definitely give some clarity onto what we mean when we say it at Crossroads. But before we do that, we are going to pray a little bit because like Andy said, we don't want to be critics of the conversation. We want to be contributors to the conversation of faith. So we feel like we know that God is active, God is here, God's Holy Spirit is working in and through his scripture and the personal work of Jesus this morning. And so we're just going to take some time and we're going to pray that you might get something out, that God might form your spirit to look like Jesus this morning. That we become contributors to the conversation of faith that we're having as we clearly see the character of God. And I'm going to ask you to pray for me that I can do a good job, you know, with all the things. So let's pray this morning. God, I'm thankful to be back together in person. Man, it's great. I'm reminded of, of why you created us to be in rooms with one another, not on Zoom calls, even though that is a good. I pray today that wherever we're watching this at, whether we're in the room or not, that you use um, your scriptures, that you use the examples we see in scriptures to reveal what it means to follow Jesus. If you're comfortable, I'd ask you to take just a couple seconds and say a prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit to, to work in your spirit this morning as God is active. you pray for me, that I might do just a good job talking about what it means to follow Jesus in our current context. Pray all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, oh my gosh, there are people in the room to say it back, everybody. I'm, I'm excited. This could last a while. Um, Really, though, so we're talking about five misconceptions. And up front, let me tell you something. We're going to move pretty quickly because we have to. Really, all of these we've talked about before in entire sermons. And I'm talking pre-COVID sermons, the big boys, not the 25-minute devotionals I'm shooting for right now, you know? And so we're going to move pretty quickly. But hopefully, as we move through these myths, we begin to see what it means to follow Jesus. And, and really, maybe deconstruct some ways that we've missed it or feel guilt or shame because we're not doing it right. And so when we talk about following Jesus, one thing we have to understand is the first myth I think is the most prevalent in our culture, and it's the formulaic myth to following Jesus, right? This is the one that says, if I do one, two, and three, then four will naturally happen. This is the one that says, if I go to three Bible studies and two D groups, and I lead one small group, then I'm naturally going to look more like Jesus at the end of this week. This is the one that says one plus two is always three. I was talking to a college student um, that went back to college that, that played with us in a worship band last week. I've known him for a long time. And, and he said, I'm becoming older at my school and I'm investing in more groups and I'm playing in a worship band at my school and at a church. And, and he said, hey, Charlie, how much do I need to do? You know? 
He said, how much do I need? What, what's, what's a good level of things to do for Jesus? What's the right number of things? And that's what we want. We want people to give us an objective answer to maybe a subjective pursuit. You want to hear, I want to hear, that if I do two, three, and one, then it's going to look like Jesus at the end of March. I want to know there's a formula to following Jesus. The problem is life doesn't work that way even when we want it to. And, and, and we see it all over the place. We see it even in the scriptures. We see this idea that formulas necessarily don't equate to growth, that life is a journey and it's not a one plus one equals two all the time. Peter's a great example of really all these things today. But Peter lived with Jesus for three years, lived with Jesus. He made one of the most profound statements in the New Testament in Matthew 16 when Jesus said, who am I? And he replied, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, you are blessed. And then a few chapters later, he denied knowing him at all. We want to believe that if we do life more with Jesus, day after day after day, there's no going back, there's only going forward. The problem is, oftentimes you can't get rid of all of the variables in the spiritual life. And so he asked me, how many things do I need to do to grow? And I said, I don't know. At Crossroads right now, we're working on what that looks like, and we're going to come up with something like a, maybe a one-to-one ratio, so every time you're poured in, pour out in some capacity. That might be a good rule of thumb. But I said, how you feeling? How busy is life? How vibrant are you right now? Because sometimes in some spaces and places, the best thing might be to step back or to press in. It's a conversation that is fluidly occurring and it goes against this idea that we have a formulaic myth to following Jesus in the first place. But we want to believe that if we have enough in common with our future spouse and if we get married in March and not November and we have enough money in the bank that we're never going to get divorced. We want to believe that if, if we send our kids to enough things and the right schools and they're going to go to college and live a happy life, we want to believe that we can check enough boxes to control outcomes. But what we see in the scriptures over and over again is that following Jesus isn't a linear progression as much as it's a lifetime journey. And the problem is if we see following Jesus as a linear progression, what happens when we step back? Who failed, me or God? We lose faithfulness in a God who's always near, who's always faithful. And so what we have to first understand is following Jesus is a journey. It's a journey and a step that we take every single day. And it's not as formulaic as we want it to be as individualistic Western thinkers. And that gives us grace for one another. It gives us grace for me and for my friends. It gives us grace not to judge people if maybe they're not leading 17 small groups right now that they still love the Lord, you know? It gives us grace for one another. To understand that when we follow Jesus, it's a journey, not an equation. So that's the first one. The second one that I think we see leads into it, because we want to believe that one plus one is always two. And so we have the formulaic myth, and then we have the destination myth. This is one of my favorites. And we've done, again, almost whole sermon series on this one. But the destination myth is when we talk about following Jesus by trading the currency of of where we're going to be one day. So we make Jesus about heaven just to keep it short and clear. And and let me tell you something, guys, that's true. Jesus is about heaven, but Jesus isn't only about heaven. What what happens sometimes when we talk about Jesus in in the currency of where we're going to be one day, and it's the only way that we talk about following Jesus, is we miss out on the delight, the joy, the pursuit of the journey that we just talked about. My daughter is two on Tuesday. 
And her new thing is, I, I'm a destination guy, just up front. I need to know where I'm going. If you don't tell me where I'm going, I get increasingly frustrated. If you don't go where I'm going with purpose, I'm really frustrated. So my daughter has started to come up to me all the time now. And I'll be like sitting in a chair with my cup of coffee and I'll just sat down in the morning. And she'll come up and she'll just go, you know, dad, mon, mon, right? Dad, come on, come on. And she reaches out her hand and she does this number, right? It's like, what are you grabbing at? Hopes and dream? Dad, mon, mon. That's what she does. And every time, every time I look at my daughter and I said, where are we going? And, and the look that she gives me is like, why would that matter? I don't need to tell you anything. And she never, ever does because I want to know, are we going to go back to the bedroom and I need to shut the door? Are you going to take me to the fridge and then, I mean, just explode when I don't give you more cheese at 7 a.m.? I need to know what's happening next. But she sits there every time, every day, multiple times a day, and just says, come on, come on. And as that happened this week, it reminded me slowly that following Jesus is about the destination for sure, but it's not defined by the destination. We've talked about heaven before, and, and we define heaven at CBC as the place where God is fully known, his influence is fully felt, and everything is fully blessed. And, and, and the, the picture scripture paints of heaven isn't as static as we make it. It's not a place that we're going to someday. It's a place that we can start to create and see right here, right now. That's why Jesus prays in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, bring heaven here as my people live into my rhythms in my ways. Following Jesus is about the journey and following Jesus is about the transformation that comes with walking with God every day. And when we make Jesus all about a destination, we make a transforming um, lifelong journey simply transactional. And following Jesus isn't only about a transaction. It was about what he did on the cross, but it's also about transformation. That's what we're going for. That's what God is doing. That's what's being built as he's taking something that has fallen into something that is perfect. So when we say that Jesus is about a destination, yes, but that's not the whole story. Following Jesus is a journey of being transformed because we know and love God who's good for us because we know and love a God who says, I'm worthy of your worship and I created all things good. So when we talk about following Jesus, it is, it is not a formula. It, it is not simply a destination. It's about transformation. And then this is, I think, one of the hardest ones for me. We have the myth of the formula, the myth of of the destination, and then we have the myth of the instantaneous, or the instant myth. This one's hard. Look, I, I'm not, as I've outlined multiple times, I am not a patient person. <laughs> I'm working on it, I'm not. But I will tell you, I love that we live in an instant culture. I walked into a store the other day, and it said, I pay for everything with Apple Pay, and it said, we don't have any coins. And I said, are we still using coins? <laughs> I haven't seen them in a decade. I didn't know this thing still existed. I love that I have to count out coins when I go places. I'm hearkening back to my childhood. And I remember even way back when, so fun note about me that I'm going to be judged on. I've never actually written a check in my life. I'm in that generation. I've seen people do it. I remember going to the grocery store with my parents. And when the people got out the checkbook, I knew it was going to be an extra three or four minutes and getting angry about it, you know? And so I, I love the fact that we live in an instant culture. And, and oftentimes, because things happen to us so quickly, we, we forget that some things aren't meant to be instant. I like podcasts, and I listen to podcasts at around two and a half times their original speed, which is probably what you think I talk at. And I've realized the more I listen to podcasts at ever-increasing speed, the harder it is to have a conversation with my wife at normal speed, right? 
I'm like, just get there, like now. Could you, could you, I know where you're going with this. Can I jump ahead for you? Or really anybody for that matter. I think some things are meant to be instant and that's a grace and some things shouldn't because it takes away from the nature of what it is. Some things are supposed to be incremental in the first place. The problem is we think that following Jesus should happen as quickly as everything else happens in our life. We feel like our, our path from wicked to saint should happen just as quickly as Apple Pay happens when really, man, the scriptures tell a different story about what it means to follow Jesus and become more like him. That it is in no way an instant thing, but it's a slow, methodical, incremental process. And this is when we get into what it means to follow Jesus in the first century world. To follow a rabbi in the first century world was a lifelong process. It's what every mother wanted for their Jewish kid. To follow a rabbi meant that you started school around three or four years old and you started memorizing the first five books of the Bible. And there was a name for that school and it lasted about a year or two. And then after that, after that, if you were good enough, they said, come back and go to school again, more kind of like a middle school, high school. If you weren't good enough, if you weren't in the top of your class, they said, go do what your dad does. And then you'd go back for another couple of years and you'd memorize the rest of the Old Testament, all of it. You'd memorize all of it. And if you're the best of the best, they say, come back. And you can start training under a rabbi. You can be a Talmudian. You can be a disciple, right? And so you'd go to a rabbi and you'd ask this rabbi, can I follow you? And if he thought that you could be just like him, he'd say, follow me. So, so when Jesus goes to these disciples, when he goes to Peter and when he goes to Thomas and when he goes to Jay, when he goes to these disciples and says, follow me, he's asking them to become slowly over time like him. The process by nature was incremental, and we forget that. We want to make it as quickly as everything else is growing increasingly in speed in our world, and some things shouldn't be because some lessons can't be learned quickly. There's some beauty we miss out on if it happens overnight. And so following Jesus is in no way incremental. Following Jesus, I mean, is in no way instant. Following Jesus is an incremental process. Following Jesus means that over time, you let the ways of Jesus become the way you live. So when I do weddings, I actually have a wedding this Friday. These people, um, friends of mine, they canceled the wedding three times, and now it's just like their family in a room, you know? And I feel badly for them, but I have some things that I teach to when I do weddings. And, and one of them is when we exchange the rings. If you ever have me do your wedding, I'm just giving this away for free. Um, I... I get the rings and, and, you know, there's a couple different kind of cliche ways you can go with that. A ring is a circle and it stands for the never-endingness of love. I don't do that. Uh, I'm more like the example that says, hey, this ring, when you first start wearing it, <laughs> man, it's going to feel awkward, right? And when you first start wearing a wedding ring, if you're not used to rings at all, you're going to fidget with it. I fidgeted with mine for like two years until it literally broke, right? <laughs> and, and so I, I look at couples and I say, you just made some pretty lofty vows. You made some lofty goals, you said, I'm going to be with you no matter what, in richer or poor. You said, I'm going to be with you in sickness and in health. And I guarantee you, the first time your husband or wife gets sick, you're going to have this fleeting thought of, let's go to the Holiday Inn for me, and you stay home and don't pass it on, you know? You have these moments, especially the beginning, where you don't live into the lofty goals you just said out loud, because that happens over time, and it is incremental. Hopefully in 50 years, you're better at being faithful in sickness than you were on day five. And so what we need to remember is that as we follow Jesus, over time, we get better at following into the ways of Jesus in the first place. And, and why that matters is because it allows us to give grace to ourselves and others. Because we either want it to happen overnight or we, wanna, we want to, like you do with weddings, you want to start where you think you should end, you know? 
Like, I'm already going to be the best husband on day one. No, you're not. And, 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 and when we do that, what happens is we don't allow ourselves to give grace to us when we fail. We have bad days. And we don't allow ourselves to give grace to others when they fail, when they have bad days. Because we think we should be somewhere that God is taking us slowly over time. It is not instantaneous. And that's a good thing, but it's a hard thing because I wish it was quicker too. I think when you look at the Beatitudes that we read today, it's the idea of understanding and growing your affection and your appreciation for the ways of Jesus. If you would have told me when I was eight that meekness is better than arrogance, I would have disagreed. Let's be honest. If you would have told me when I was 28 that meekness is better than arrogance, I, I would have disagreed. But as I grow and I see Jesus more clearly and I see how his ways change me and my family and my community and my friends, I begin to see the beauty in what oftentimes I missed at the beginning. I begin to see that meekness is better than arrogance always. I begin to see the power of forgiveness and not retribution always. So as we live into the ways of Jesus, slowly over time, we begin to see the beauty of those ways and they forever shape us. They weigh heavier and heavier on us and the influence of Jesus in our life builds over time. It's okay if it doesn't happen by tomorrow. And so we look with big picture lenses at what God is doing day to day. And that's a hard thing to do in our culture that doesn't really value things that take time. Jesus is dead because they didn't have the instant stuff. And we have to remember that when we have conversations of faith, that it's about becoming like Jesus daily over time. That's what it means to follow, slow and incremental, one that doesn't necessarily have a formula and isn't all about the destination, but what God is doing right here and right now as we're going somewhere together, as he says, follow. So he says, follow Jesus, and then the second half of that is make disciples. And here's the last two myths we're going to get into today. Uh, the next one is, is the myth of conversion. That's going to sound weird to some people because <laughs> conversion is not a myth, right? It's a beautiful thing that, that should be celebrated with all the things that we have. There are parables of God celebrating people coming home, celebrating lost people being found, celebrating all those things in John 15 if you want to read about them. And so conversion is a beautiful thing to celebrate. But if you look at the text of what Jesus tells us, he calls us into something different than just conversion. He says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says in Acts, you're going to be my witnesses to the rest of the world. And what we have to understand is there's a difference between conversion and discipleship. And, and I grew up in a time and place where those two things were really the same. I grew up in a time and place when we celebrated the 57 rededications and the 58 salvations and walked down to the front of the auditorium, even though the speaker promised you he would never make you do that, walk down there and, and confess to people that you know Jesus. And that is good and beautiful and true, but that's not God's end game. God's end game isn't conversion, it's discipleship, and there's a difference. There's a difference. Because here's what I know is true in the scriptures, is that God doesn't call us to the lowest common denominator. He often calls us to the deepest form of dedication. And being a disciple is a deeper form of dedication than being somebody that's simply converted. That's good, and we celebrate, but then we say, take a step farther. Because if God is good, he's worth it. I went to Moody Bible Institute, and uh, we had these things called PCM's Practical Christian Ministries, you know? And, and they were just community service you had to do that aligned with your major. And they were great. They were awesome. If you missed one, though, you had to do open-air evangelism, and that was always the worst for me. 
I really did not like open-air evangelism because most times at Moody, it consisted of taking some tracks to the subway and accosting people on their way home from work, you know? That's some people's spiritual gift. That is not mine because you don't want me to be here and I really don't want to either at this point, you know? And so, like I said, that is a good thing and it's a needed thing, but it's just the beginning of the conversation because Jesus calls us not just to not punch people, but to deal with the motive behind why we want to punch people in the first place. He says, look, anger is not stopped simply because you don't have the action that goes with it. My kingdom and my ways, we stop the anger from happening in the first place. So we have to understand is that the culture of discipleship that's created when we follow Jesus isn't simply about conversion, but calls us into something else. Scott McKnight, one of my favorite authors, says, what's happened is we've created a salvation culture and mistakenly assumed it's a gospel culture. It's that idea that when we talk about following Jesus slowly over time as he's changing us and then making disciples, those two things aren't necessarily disconnected and we disconnect them sometimes. Making disciples is a natural outflowing of the goodness of God in our lives. So let's go back to me and now being a father and a family-friendly car. I never wanted to be the kind of dad that popped out his pictures of his daughter and said, look at how cute this kid is. Guess what I do all the time? I get online now and I'm like, have you guys seen the Highlander? Oh my goodness, right? I never thought I would be that way, but here we are because it's good and it's great. And the discipleship then becomes something more than just telling people about Jesus. It's showing them who Jesus is and telling them who he is because we're excited about Jesus in the first place. It's not just about raise your hand and walk down the aisle, even though it's something we celebrate. He calls us into something deeper to be disciples daily followers of him. And I guess my point there is simply disciples naturally make other disciples because you talk about what gives you joy. And that's the culture we want to create and be. That's the, that's the kind of community we want to become at CBC. I've used it before. I'll use it again. It's an author and, and a uh, church guy in Colorado. And Hugh Halter wrote a great book called The Tangible Kingdom. He was being interviewed one time and, and they said, so how often do you, you know, like, tell people about Jesus. And he said, I, I don't really do it that much. And that kind of threw the interviewer through a loop. And he said, what do you mean you don't tell, you're a pastor? Like, this is what you're supposed to do. He said, well, in my space, it kind of looks like um, the other day, he said, somebody came to me and said, hey, you look like you have a really good marriage. And he said, I do. Thank you. <laughs> you know? And, and he said, I need you to tell me like how you can have a really good marriage. And he said, if I'm going to tell you about how I can have a really good marriage, I have to tell you about Jesus, you know? It's a natural outworking of the beauty of Jesus that we see and that we live into as his influence increases in our lives. As we are disciples, we create disciples. And that might look like your kids, and that might look like your friends and your coworkers and your family as they see the beauty of Jesus in you. And so we have to understand that when we say follow Jesus, make disciples, it's this lifelong journey of becoming like Jesus and spreading that joy to other people in non-awkward, accosting ways most of the time. And then finally, this is the last one. We find this last myth of perfection. <laughs> and the myth of perfection is difficult because we believe, I believe, and maybe it's because I'm a type three on the Enneagram scale, I believe that I have to do it perfectly before I can tell people to do it with me. I believe that in order to tell people to follow Jesus, all my ducks have to be in a row or it discredits my desire for them to follow Jesus. You know? Let me tell you something. As we read the scripture, more and more what you see is Jesus using imperfect people to point to his perfection because that deepens the grace that he shows us all. That's why he chose Peter. That's why he chose Paul. That's why he chose you. And that's why he chose me is because as we live into the ways of Jesus imperfectly, 
As we live into those, people see the beauty of a God who loves us anyway when we try and clean up our stuff to show people God who has cleaned up. What we do is take away from the grace of God. Now, that doesn't in any way warrant us not becoming or not being, but it's just us saying this is a process too. We feel like we have to be perfect to tell people about a God who is, and that's not the story of the scripture that keeps us from telling people about a God who's perfect so we don't have to be. And as a church, that's who we want to be. Because we're going to get some things right and we're going to get some things wrong. I inevitably will fail you if I haven't already and so will some other staff and so will your mentors and so will even the best pastors out there because we are people too. But in the middle of those imperfections, we point to a God who is perfect. In the middle of those imperfections, we say, and isn't it amazing how God can still use people like me? And what that's supposed to do is not give liberty to being imperfect. It's supposed to give us an incredible liberation knowing that God can use me anyway. It's supposed to increase our joy and our love and our favor for or God who's good. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus was. And in the middle of that, we call others. Say, this is why the church exists. Because we're not perfect. We're broken and we need a God who is. And so when we talk about following Jesus and making disciples at Crossroads, it's a lifelong pursuit of becoming like Jesus in our everyday lives. It spills over into the lives that we touch along the way with joy and hopefully with a lot of laughter and sometimes with tears, knowing full well that God is perfect where we're not and he's fixing, redeeming, and restoring the world that we live in. So we tell people when they can remember that our mission is to follow Jesus and make disciples at Crossroads because that's who we want to become, and that's how we see God working right here and right now. Let me pray for us.